Good morning. Good to see you all. We have some visiting with us, and we're thankful that you're able uh, to be here for uh, this hour of instruction and for a day of worship in the Lord's house. Uh, we look forward to uh, getting uh, to meet you. Uh, we are uh, not going to be singing again this morning and this hour just because we want to take uh, full advantage of the time. Uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn with me to the book of First Corinthians. Looking at the subject of uh, of what it means to be a man of, of masculinity, and in First Corinthians chapter sixteen, uh, we read these words. I'm reading here out of the New King James. Uh, this would be different if you have a King James or I think the Old ASV and even the uh, English Standard Version. But here the text says, "Watch." Stand fast in the faith. Our translation says be brave. The original has the language act like a man or act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done with love. Let's pray and ask God's help as we uh, do our time of study this morning. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you that we can stand upon it. We thank you that it is unchanged and unchangeable. We thank you, Father, that it is forever settled in the heavens, that it is truth for all nations and all generations. We do ask you to give us help and insight as we look together uh, at your word and seek to understand and apply its meaning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I imagine a number of you are aware of the writings of a man named Tim Challies. Tim is a, a pastor in Canada, and he has a website, uh, challies.com, uh, where he is committed to giving uh, daily blogs and links to many articles, and uh, every once in a while he'll write a, a word of encouragement or, ex or, or exhortation. Uh, he recently wrote these words, sometimes we are forced to have conversations that are almost too strange to believe. Conversations, for example, in which we insist that there is such a thing as gender binary, that there is either male or female, yet today so many people are convinced that gender is a mere construct of an oppressive culture. Gender, he says, they believe is a decision we make for ourselves and not grounded in any biological reality, not to mention divine design. Now, I realize that for those who are 20 and younger here, and of course, especially for those who are in their teen years and younger, the world that you are growing up in and have grown up in uh, these things that we are talking about here, this matter of gender confusion, is a part of the cultural air that you breathe. You've never known a world that is anything other. And just as you see these uh, videos every once in a while of a, a young person trying to figure out a uh, a videotape machine or figure out what a cassette is or how to dial a telephone, 
Uh, it appears to be something merely of a bygone era that is as confusing and as culturally hurtful as a whites-only sign over a bathroom or uh, over a water fountain. It seems impossible that we were ever there, you think now, in light of the way that things are. And because that is the case, we need to be able to give an answer, uh, not just for the hope that is within us, but an answer for the things that we believe to help us as the body of Christ, but also to help us and our witness to the world. These are among the things that have become a matter of offense or scandal, just as the cross is presented as the great scandal in our evangelism. Pastor Challies has brought out the, the declaration that humans are binary, that is uh, either male or female, and his assertion, and I want to assert this as well, that to deny that is a fabrication and a dangerous one. Now, I say that in contradiction to the world because what we are hearing now is that if we do declare that we believe that people are either male or female, that, we are told, is a fabrication, and that it is dangerous, it is unloving, it's deadly, even perhaps not to affirm someone in their preferred identity, and they would cite certain... Um, self-harm statistics, and even suicide statistics to prove that. And we are in these series of classes trying to answer how should we then live, and that is uh, what are our ethics as the people of God. And we are now studying this issue of sex or gender uh, as it is commonly referred to today. And we must state at the beginning that as this is a Christian church that holds to the word of God as the uh, infallible revelation of our God, true in all cultures and all generation, that our foundation, our argument, uh, as we would uh, present these things, is unashamedly the revealed word of God, and that we believe what we believe not just because God has stated it, but because God has subdued our hearts in conversion. There was a time when we were natural men, not subject to the law of God, and indeed we could not be. Uh, when I became a Christian, I had to uh, subject my mind and my learning of the past, my assumptions and my convictions to the truth of Scripture. And where those uh, convictions that I held as a young liberal guy from the Northeast were in contradiction to the word of God. I had to subdue them to divine revelation. And though in this issue, male and female, we can, and I think it, it is proper to appeal to natural revelation. Natural revelation is sufficient in and of itself to stop what I declare to be not only a lie, that is, that your biological sex is undeterminative of who you are. It is not only a lie, but I will assert in contradiction to the age, it is a dangerous and a murderous lie, which has threatened to become normative in our nation and in other nations. But we also, again, have to say that we are here as followers of Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches us 
we need to remind ourselves of this, and this is why we're doing these classes. We need to remind ourselves that the cultural culture around us can and does influence us. There, there are convictions that we have because we are in the day and age in which we are that might be different were we in another country or in another age. We see the reality of this influence in a passage like Psalm 1. Why does the righteous or the blessed man avoid the counsel of the ungodly? Why does he not stand in the path of sinners? Why does he not sit in the seat of the scornful? Why does a blessed man, a godly man, godly woman, godly boy, godly girl avoid those things? What's the reason? Well, it is because our delight's in the law of the Lord, but what's the problem with standing in the, uh, uh, the counsel of the ungodly and standing in the path of sinners and being in the seat of the scornful? It, oh, oh, so it might affect you? All right, that's the idea. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So that there is a connection between what is happening around us, in this case, an abounding of lawlessness and its effect on our affections. Why have mainline denominations collapsed on the secular and humanistic ideology of sex because of the lawlessness of the culture. And the culture of lawlessness has caused the hearts of many that perhaps once burned strong out of love and devotion to God. But what happens? Because you're in a situation where Lawlessness abounds and lawfulness is not upheld and esteemed and viewed as something to strive after. It's not something that's noble. Well, the tendency then is our hearts grow cold, which is to say grow callous or grow indifferent. And that's the illustration we spoke of last time of the frog in the kettle. Another text that shows that the church must know and understand the word because of the leavening effect of culture even upon us as the people of God. And this was referred to a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Now whenever you find the Bible tells you don't be deceived, perk up your ears and realize it's talking to you that there is something in you that is susceptible to deception. Don't think to yourself, well, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm so stable in the word. I, I never need to hear, heed these exhortations. Well, we do. And what we're told here is that evil company corrupts good habits. Uh, one of the prophets gives the illustration of uh, a priest who uh, touches unclean meat. And the question is asked by the prophet, if, if a if a priest touches unclean meat will the unclean become clean and the answer is no and then he says but will the clean become unclean and the idea is that it generally transfers only one way um, and then a text that I think is, is very crucial to this uh, just laying this as our opening foundation uh, again Titus chapter 1 uh, I'm going to begin at verse 10. Now he's talking about the reason why churches need elders. 
So what do elders primarily do? They, they teach and preach the word of God, right? And because we, we are who we are, we need regular contact with God's word in the context and community of the church. This is Paul's argument to Titus. There are churches in Crete, but they needed elders in all of those churches. And, and so he says, this is one of his reasons why elders have to be qualified, why they need to be trained in sound doctrine. Verse 10, for there are many insubordinate. Now, that wouldn't be a problem if they didn't affect people in the church. But they do affect and infect. Both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, there's a whole lot we could say about that that I'm going to have to pass. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That is to say, there are sins that mark culture. Now, you would have enjoyed this. Uh, or been interested by this. When I was in Brazil teaching pastoral theology, we parked here for a moment, and I said, I asked my Brazilian friends, what are the perceived sins of America? When you think about Amer Americans are always, you know, what are, so that was a very interesting to get an outside uh, perspective. Then I asked them, evaluate yourselves. Uh, if you're preaching this and you said Brazilians uh, tend to be, uh, et cetera. And I'll, I, I won't get into that, so not to offend our Brazilians. You know. But they had certain things that they said mark Brazilian culture and even uh, that can affect and infect. Now, so this is what Paul now says. This is a, um, he's quoting a secular poet from, I think, some 500 years earlier. And he says he's right. This does mark the Cretan people. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Who's the they? So he says Cretans are. That's Cretans everywhere. But because he's preaching in Crete, and the church is made up of Cretans who were born and, and raised and nurtured in that society, some of the sins of that culture have affected the church. And you need to know what that is, and you need to confront it in order that they may be sound in the faith. So sometimes the, the whole world is going one way. And because that is the world in which we live, and Jesus did not pray that we would be taken out of the world, but that we would be salt and light in the world, we're going to live in this age, Paul says in to the Corinthians, there are things we can't avoid. You're going to live in this world and rub elbows with the people of this world. But there is a distinction between the church and the world, the behavior of worldlings and the behavior of those in the church. But because this is true, because we live in a society in which bad company can corrupt good morals, because we can be deceived, because whole households can become subverted, by listening to a certain teacher. And again, we've said before, we live in an age where it's never been easier to get truth. It's also never been easier to be deceived. 
And sometimes the whole household will gather around and listen, read a new book, and listen to a new teacher, and they're subverted. Because that's true. God's servants need to faithfully give the word. It affects and infects the church because, again, this is the environment in which we live, and the Lord has not determined to rocket us out of it. So sometimes we need to be warned. Sometimes we need to be rebuked sharply. Sometimes we need to be exhorted and instructed so that we can be sound in faith. Where the Bible says sound doctrine leads to sound living. That is, it accords, as Paul says, with godliness. And so because we live at a time, and again, particularly our young people, you have been indoctrinated to believe that what I am saying is, is, is hateful and bigoted and cruel and unloving. There's an expression I heard the other day. I'd never heard it before, but I, I read it or saw it, and it said something like this. I used to read the Bible to find out what love is. Now I use love to find out what the Bible says. Now, that, you, you, doesn't that sound pleasant in a certain way? But do you see how subversive it is? We need to reread the Bible. No, we need to reread what love is. And because, listen, you need to remind yourself of this, young people especially. The God of the Bible is love. He loves these people more than you do. He has created them, knit them together, taken care of them, filled their life with pleasant things, and his goodness is to lead to repentance. And if what God says is loving is different from what you say is loving, he's right and you're wrong. And you need to understand that. And I appreciate we want to be loving. We want to be accepting. We want to be affirming. All of us, all of us want that for ourselves. And so maybe we can think to ourselves, well, in order to love our neighbor as ourselves, because I want to be loved in a way that's affirming. But do you really? Or do you really want to be like Jesus? Don't you really want to be holy? And in order to do that, sometimes the word of God, the word of God doesn't only affirm us. It, it, it rebukes us sharply. And so, again, we need to know this and understand this. And so we started with a foundation in Genesis 1 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And uh, we had noted that though the Bible speaks most often generically, that is, in its exhortations, it doesn't say, now this is for you if you're living in this country or living in that country, if you're rich, this, if you're poor, if you're middle class, if you're white, if you're black, if you're this, if you're that, if you're male or female. Loving God, loving your neighbor, uh, keeping the Lord's day, uh, not committing adultery, those are universals to all people and all ages. But there are times when the Bible addresses us in our role and in our function, and sometimes that the Bible addresses us in our sexual identity. And by our sexual identity, I mean male or female. And so we, we, we ended last time by looking at, beginning to look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 
In the King James, it says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. Now, that's not an expression we use, uh, quit you like men, uh, but it means act like men. That's, that's the rendering of the English Standard Version, and, and it is a good translation. Uh, it, it is taken from uh, a word. Uh, I won't bother to pronounce it. I could give it to you if you're interested in the original. But it takes the word uh, uh, andros or uh, on air as its root, which is male as opposed to female. There's a generic anthropos, mankind. We sometimes, when we speak of Sometimes we use it generically, all men are created equal. We mean male and female in that, not just uh, biological males. But here he is saying, live like a man, act like a man, show yourself to be a man. And it's interesting that in the context, and I think this is interesting, in that context where the exhortations around it are be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and be strong, that you can understand why in its application where somebody says, well, I'm going uh, to apply it more generally as a translator, that the idea of bravery or courage could come. You can see that in the context, right, why that would be. Now, we noted that in this case, it is taking what is a primary masculine quality and applying it generically. For the expression there is given to the entirety of the church. But we do need to ask the question that as a primary quality, are there things that we can say are in keeping with one acting like a man or being a man. And so what I want to do is I want to break this down into, into several categories for us. Some of these are matters of exclusivity of manhood. Some of them are matters of primary dispositional manhood. It doesn't mean that a, a woman would never act like this or isn't exhorted just as bravery or times when women are called to. But let's consider together, first of all, what we'll put here as the physical. So as we break this down, what does it mean to be a man? Well, part of that's physical. And today that begins to be visible in the womb. So you'll go to a doctor, and at some point, the doctor, at least now, at least in Kentucky, I don't know what they do in California, the doctor will say, do you want to know what, what, what he is? Or they are. Do you want to know what they are? And, and it is fascinating. This is by way of a side. It's fascinating that at this time of gender confusion that we have begun as a society to revel in gender reveal parties. <laughs> and the gender reveal party, in case you don't know, is some wonderful, sometimes explosive representation of one of two colors. Blue or pink. I don't know when and all that, that got to be the case that uh, men were determined that they're blue and, 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 and girls or boy, uh, boys are blue and girls are pink. Uh, you understand it to some degree in our society, but kind of universally, uh, that's the case. But there is the physical. Males are males down to their chromosomes and cells. 
every cell in your body has a sexual identifying marker. So male anatomy, primary male hormones. Again, every cell of a male is male. This is, uh, here I am arguing to some degree, secularly, logically, and scientifically. But you need to understand this. And I, 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 I actually, I read a, a, tr a trans person, as they would identify it. They'd gone through the surgery. They were striving to live according to this new identity. But they said, in a moment of very uh, emotional honesty, I know that when I die and the flesh has been stripped away, that anybody who digs up my body and does any study of my bones or what is left will know that I was born a man. They will know it. No matter what I did on the outside, my biology screams that I am a man. One person has said biology is a stubborn thing. When the Lord Jesus resurrects the bodies of people that have been surgically altered, he will not raise them according to their identity, but his identity. He will raise them in accordance with how he made them in the womb. And again, again I want to say, we're going to get into some of this later in another study of to come. There are some for whom I feel a tremendous amount of pity and sorrow in their brokenness. Please don't, I am not here trying to punch anybody in the face other than with truth and I hope with love to help them. So again, biologically, men are men and again, almost all will, will concede this part I mean, they will say, yes, I understand biologically I am this way. They are noted by their sexual organ. They are noted by their chromosomal makeup called XY. The Bible acknowledges this in ways that are subtle and blatant, things that are just a part of masculinity and of being a, a, a man. Again, sometimes this is subtle, the, this idea of biology. He had this many sons. And this many daughters, well, how do you know? Because of their primary sexual organ. That's how you knew. It's a boy or that is a girl. When Noah oversees the animals in the ark, they are male or female. And again, why? Because only this combination can mate and create life. There is a beauty and glory in these differences. There is no life apart from these differences. To deny male and female is a war on humanity. If everybody did this, we would die. We would be wiped out in a generation. That's not good. And that's not good if you're a Christian. That's not good if you are an, evol if you are an evolutionist. 
what is the what is the primary drive of life to preserve it and to survive sometimes the bible focuses on the physical who gets circumcised boys done only to males at least in 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 judaism uh, some muslims do this uh, have a horrible surgical alteration to women to girls circumcision done only to the males i i don't want to be too crass on this but there are six times if you if you read the if, if you become a christian and you decide i'm going to read the king james you're going to ever ever once i'll come across something and go what so six times when the holy spirit wants to talk about men it uses a euphemism to describe how they go to the bathroom And it says, basically, that they stand up when they go. So I'm going to talk to you about some people. I'm going to talk to you about those who stand up when they go. That's a physical reality. So every, every translation that I found outside of the King James uses male or men. But the Hebrew talks about they, they would have a certain wall. That's what they'd go against the wall. So, kids, you can have fun with that later on if you want to look that up. In regard to physical traits, we have the issues that are brought up by many in our society who are, are, are struggling with this, what's happening these days, particularly in regard to athletes. I don't know any woman that has tried to become a male that is trying to compete in male sports. And I will say, I, I do believe, girls, that there is a, a particular deception. If you believe males try to dominate you, well, that's exactly what's happening. And some of you are welcoming it with open arms, thinking that it's good and, and open-hearted. More on that later. But there are basic physical attributes which give men an advantage in sports and, we have to say this, in the arena of combat. Muscles, the bone structure, weight, all of those kinds of things help men to do these jobs. And again, I think we need to learn as a society the harm we place women in. A male... Presenting as a female in, in, in a boxing tournament has led to death. Things that we view in the name of justice and equality, when sometimes we say we just, we're just talking about biology, a woman police officer. And I believe women can be police officers, but should they be on patrol? Should they step out of their car in a situation where they have to confront a six-foot-tall man? It places her, her life, in unnecessary danger, simply rooted in the reality of the difference of biology. It's, a, it's not cruelty to say she's smaller and not as strong. It's just acknowledging reality. And when, and when we are bothered by reality, something's really wrong. 
So physical differences. I didn't write all those down. But let's, let's talk a little bit about functional or role differences. Function or roles. So if a man is married and they have children, he has a distinct name. He's a husband. He's not just a married person. And he's a father. Does the Bible address both these things? So where does the Bible address some of these things? All right, so Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 as primary text. What's the book of Proverbs primarily? Who's it primarily written by? It's written by a father. It's a father interacting. Now, does that mean a mother doesn't give laws and mother doesn't give commandments? No, because... Proverbs talks about that and warns sons, especially sons. It's primarily a book to fathers for sons. Again, because I had daughters, three daughters to start with. It was always interesting in family devotions to go through Proverbs and always kind of like say, well, I'm going to say this, my daughter, my daughter, or, or listen to me, my daughters. Uh, but there is, it's a father to son dynamic that, that makes the book of Proverbs distinct in a way that had it been written generically as parents to children. So some of the warning passages and things like Proverbs 5 and 6 would, would be different were they written generically than written to, written to men. Are there commands given to fathers that are not, are not explicitly given to mothers? Are, are there duties in the home... I'm talking about just in the home, not outside them. I'm not talking about work yet or anything like that. But in the home that you see is primarily father, and in some cases, I want to be very careful how I say this, but I think mothers would recognize this as well. It's better when dad does it. Are there things you can think of? What? Uh, discipline. Is there a difference? Josh, are you willing to talk for me? Are you willing to be, to say, was there a difference when your mother exhorted you than when your father exhorted you? 100%. Great. We didn't plan that. I was willing to get whatever, whatever he brought. Was there a difference in, when he applied discipline? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Were you more afraid of your father's discipline? All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this is as gentle a man as you could have. All right. All right. Are, are there exhortations given to men as husbands that are not just generic marriage counsel? Are there things a husband is to do that is a propriety of the fact that they are bi biologically male? What, what are some things? And it's very, you know, women are never commanded to love their husbands. No, it's not, I said commanded to. 
Older women can teach younger women to love their husbands, to have a certain kind of relationship with their husbands. But as far as a divine exhortation, it's, it's, it's husbands to wives. That's it's interesting. You know, again, I'm not to say that women shouldn't love their husbands. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that there's, there appears to be a way in which wives perhaps more naturally love their husbands and men have to be exhorted to love their wives. And a particular way in which they need to be exhorted to love their wives. There are even commands of affection. Read again the book of Proverbs. Of a husband to his wife. In a way that is not given. Again, were a, a, were, were a woman to write Proverbs to her daughter. That, I, I would almost love to see that. I almost wish there was such a thing. Because it would be very interesting to say even in regard to. Because men are exhorted not to be sexually promiscuous. Not to go after other women. Not to have their eyes or their hands on other women. Those are things given to a male as a male. So again, commands given to men as men that are not generic marriage commands. Uh, turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 2. This is a fascinating passage because this is going to talk about this is primary role and function. We're going to see in a moment it's not necessarily exclusive, but there are primary differences between how a father fathers and how a mother mothers. Now we all we all tend to know this, but the Bible does acknowledge it. So, fascinatingly, in the context, this is the context of ministry. And Paul's going to say, there were aspects of my, of my ministry that were motherly, and aspects of my ministry that were fatherly. So listen to how he says it. First, Thess First Thessalonians 2, verse 7, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now, Paul was plenty masculine, and he was not afraid to say that there are aspects of my ministry that were matronly. I was very gentle and tender with you. I came alongside you, some of you, I, I, I came alongside you with a gentleness that brought up the way your mother loved you when she nursed you. So it's not, it's not wrong for a man sometimes to, you know, to say, but, but he is saying that that is a primary characteristic of mothers. So when he's going to make the application to his ministry, he's going to say, well, mothers are like this. And then he says this, and I think even picking up on some of this aspect of gentleness, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. There's something of the sacrificial love of a mother, the tender, self-denying love of a mother, particularly here a nursing mother of an infant, and, and, and how they give up certain things, sometimes sleep, sometimes other things in order to care and nurture their, their child with their, own, with their own body. Verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach the gospel to you. 
for you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you, could walk, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, I, I, I can't get into all of this. Lord willing, I, I'm looking forward to preaching through First and Second Thessalonians. We can spend more time there then. But do you understand that Paul is making differences according to the biology of what fathers are like and mothers are like? So their roles and functions. This is closely related, but I'm going, to, I'm going to call this duties. Duties, responsibilities. So that we tend to think this, a certain thing needs to be done. So very often, for instance, we, we see this um, in our church at times. An email goes out. Daryl wants 45 tons of something moved. And so he says, he doesn't usually put that out generically. He says, young men. Thankfully, he doesn't ask the old men to do this. There's, there's a reason for it. My back would scream for the rest of my life. But, you, but you, what I'm saying is that there are things you say, and, and, and sometimes for some other things, primarily we think in certain forms of hospitality. I know some of the men cook here, and it's not that men are incapable of cleaning, but... But again, there, there, are, uh, there are generally those things, roles and functions, fall along some degree uh, of male and female. When you think of male duties and responsibilities, we touched on some of these last time. And I'm just going to go through some of these quickly, just in light of the time. We think of things like leadership. It's not that women can't ever lead in a, in a given situation, but primarily, I, I could give you a host of situations and scenarios where if you were all in, you would be looking for a man to lead you. Men should be decision makers. Part of being a man, part of masculinity is action, movement. It's the let's go, let's get this done, let's make a decision. That when, a, uh, that when a young man is adrift, vocationally or other things, it, it is felt differently than when a young woman is. When a young man puts off, in some cases, puts off marriage and family, and you say, hey, it's time to say to a man in a way you don't say to a girl. It's time to grow up. It's time to take responsibility. It's time to make decisions. That we are paralyzed sometimes with fear and making decision, when sometimes it is ours to do. Provision and protection. The language of 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith, faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, sometimes a woman may, in a situation, they may be for a variety of reasons, she works, she may have a job that just brings in more income than he does. But, again, we say here, generically speaking, it is the man that is tasked to provide and to protect. If someone broke into this room, if there was a threat to our lives, how many of you would be looking, come on, women, help us? 
No, you would say, where are the men that would stand up and stand between the, the women and children and the danger? This is a universal. When they go out to war, part of even the motivation to fight is the protection of those who are not as strong. Danger to, 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 to women and children. Uh, so we'll, we'll make this, we'll say more about this at a public meeting, you know, just to let you know what we have done and are doing as a church. We do have a security team that's, that has been and is being trained uh, to help in case there's ever a situation here. Everybody on that security team is a man. I won't apologize for that. I got, I, I don't, I'm not going to ask how many women here carry, um, and, and I, I, I'm pretty confident some do. Uh, and, and, and hopefully have even had some training in that. But probably in that home, if there's a sound in the middle of the night, it's pushing the hubby up out of the bed uh, to go see what, what this is. First Samuel 4 and verse 9, Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that, uh, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews. First Chronicles 19.13, Be of good courage and let us be strong. Some translations have it there. Let us play the man or let us act like the men that we are. Uh, Isaiah 19, 16. In that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the waving hand of the Lord of hosts. Uh, again, that's not a slander. It's just simply the reality that in that situation and setting that you want strong men. The mighty men of Babylon have ceased, ceased, have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They have become like women, it says, Jeremiah 51, 30. Uh, Nahum 3, 13, surely your people in the midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour them. That where are the men? Where are the men to, to protect? Now, we also need to touch on very quickly here, the, the matters of self-control and sober-mindedness. Um, I'm just looking at the time here, and I don't want to, I want to think of our, those with our children. So I think I need to wrap here, and that we'll come back and, and, and finish this up. And part of the blessing of this is that there's no real timetable. We can take a year if we want to, and, or two years, and get through all of this. Uh, we don't have to say, we have to finish all of these classes in this amount of time. Well, let's pray. And again, let's just get, brother, let's help that God would help us to think according to his word. God's word sometimes hurts and God's word offends. It wounds, but it also binds up. Uh, it is the way of truth, the way of love, the way of sanity. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time to be together and to consider the truths of your word. We pray that you'd help us. Uh, to live out your design in a way that glorifies and honors you. We pray, living God, that for the good of our homes, the good of our society, the good of our church, our witness to the world, uh, that in this case you'd help us who are men uh, to play the man and be what you've called us to be uh, in our various vocations and roles. We pray, Father, for the thriving of families, for the thriving of our society. And for your honor and glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.